Well, church, I hope that you were catching the significant moments in worship today. I don't know that we could have had a better guide today in worship, that when we trade our sorrows in for His joy, it sets us up for something good. It sets us up for something good. We moved in, I don't know if you caught it, we moved in talking about singing about being satisfied, our whole heart being satisfied by the things of God. When we are trading in what's bugging us, what's troubling us for the joy of the Lord, He begins to satisfy us. And then we walked into worship. I don't know if you're there with me. Then we began to sing about but putting Jesus on the throne, the rightful place that He is where He deserves to be. That's what worship is about. I can't put Jesus on the throne when I'm hanging on to my sorrow and I'm not going to trade it in for what He has. I can't be satisfied in my heart when I don't trade that in. When we put Jesus in His rightful place on the throne, when we wait on God, strength will rise. That's good. We haven't even heard from from God's words in this format yet today, and our hearts should already be full of the truth that God has given to us. Amen? Oh, one of the things I want to remind you of, I still have enough new guy eyes on. We have worship that is led by the Spirit in this place. I want you to know how blessed we are to give all of our attention and focus to Jesus. It's not about what I prefer. It's not about what, what I would choose or what I like. I'm going to trade in my sorrows, my preferences, my hang-ups, my frustration, my blah for the joy of the Lord and put Him in His rightful place and begin to watch what Jesus does in my heart. That has nothing to do with the sermon today, but that's good stuff. If you'll take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 18, we'll get into the teaching of God's Word this morning. Matthew chapter 18. I trust uh, that the Lord has ministered to you in this Thanksgiving time. Uh, My heart has been heavy and aware that I know for some of us this has been a very painful time. This may be the first holiday that your loved one is not with you. I've been praying for you this morning. Maybe for some of you going home to be with family or inviting family in is anything but the descriptor of fun. All other kinds of words come to your mind, but fun was not one of them. I've been praying for you today. There may be some of you that would say, hey, just to have a family, I would take lack of fun or fun or whatever it may be, and and my heart goes out to you today. But know that God is faithful to us. As I was thinking about you and praying for you this morning, and my heart went back to, it was nearly 20 years ago, not quite 20 years ago, around this time of year, a couple weeks before Thanksgiving, that I was in high school and I was not feeling well. I was feeling kind of sick at school. So I went to the school nurse and I made the wonderful decision that I was too sick to study that day. Often that decision came before my mind. But this day I was really feeling sick and so uh, I went home and uh, when I got home I didn't know that a bunch of other people got sick and there was some construction happening at the school and there were some fumes that were released that made a bunch of people sick but I didn't know this. I went upstairs, and I'm standing in the upstairs bathroom at the sink, and I'm feeling quite dizzy, and, and the room begins to spin, and, and then everything goes black. And I passed out, and to the best of our knowledge, I fell and either hit my head on the toilet or the tub. I'm not quite sure, but there must have been a loud thud. I don't remember or know about that. My mom came rus- rushing up the stairs and thinking her son was probably faking from school, now finds him laying flat on the floor in the bathroom. She freaks out, she calls 911, and the next thing that I remember is being carried out on a stretcher to the ambulance. There's a bunch of people in the ambulance that are strangers, I don't quite know who they are, and I get there to the hospital bed, and 
There's a couple people pressing into the hospital bed that are asking a lot of questions and they're quite annoying to me. I didn't recognize them. I didn't know who they were, but they were my parents. Now, sometimes they've been annoying, but not because I didn't know who they were. And at that moment, it was diagnosed that I was suffering from amnesia. And uh, I can vividly remember not remembering, if that makes any sense. I can remember over that next two to three months as my memory came back, uh, except for a day or two in there, I, I never got back, but my memory did all come back. But those couple of months, I remember meeting people for the first time twice. The first time that I really met them, and then the second time that I didn't know who they were and I met them again. It's amazing the things that people will try to do to you when you don't remember things. My so-called friend said, hey, come here, try this. You love guacamole. Put it in my mouth. Had no idea. This is nasty. This should never be eaten. Put it in the mouth. I had no idea I didn't like that. Hey, you owe me 20 bucks. Oh, I guess I do. I didn't know that. When you don't know, there's a lot of things that can go wrong when you don't know. You don't know who to trust. You don't know what you like. You know what you don't, you don't know what you don't like. And it was kind of a weird time. As I was thinking back on that, that vein or that thought applies and connects to what's on my heart to share with you today. I want to share a message with you entitled, Gospel Amnesia. Now that amnesia, when we forget or we're not familiar and we just can't kind of connect with the things that we should know, and this term gospel, which you, you know well, it's the good news, literally the good news of Jesus Christ. Where there's no way to get to God, the good news is that we have a path through Jesus Christ of forgiveness of our sins. It's not what we earn. It's not what we deserve. It's by grace that we receive it, by grace and faith alone in Jesus Christ. There is an epidemic in the church of America today of gospel amnesia. We live as if we have forgotten the good news. One of the key symptoms of gospel amnesia this morning is unforgiveness. When we as Christians refuse to forgive and we look at the wrong that's done to us and we say there's no way I can forgive, we are forgetting what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. Forgiveness needs to be an urgent concern for every Christian. Not just because we want to be good guys and good gals, not just because we want to wish people well and, hey, let's just forgive them. It's the very identity we have in Jesus Christ is our forgiveness. And when we deny forgiving someone else, when we refuse to forgive someone else, we are denying who God is in our life. We are being disobedient to the God who has forgiven us. Jesus tells a story it's called the parable of the unmerciful servant there in Matthew 18. It powerfully illustrates this truth, and this story is told in response to a question that Peter asked. And so I want to start Matthew 18 at verse 21 with the question that Peter gives. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, I thank God for Peter. Often he's the guy who asks the questions that everybody is thinking, but no one has the boldness to ask that question. And he's asking the question saying, hey, I, I want to know about this forgiveness thing, and I want to know what you expect of me. I want to do the right thing, but, but what are the limits on this? What are the parameters on this? How many times should I forgive somebody before I can walk away and just wash my hands of it? Well, what's the cap on this forgiveness thing? Is it seven? Is it eight times? Then can I walk away? You see, we often are, are the same. We, 
we're not so opposed to the idea of forgiveness, but we want a cap. We want limits on this. We want boundaries. Because there's a part of us that feels like we'll be taken advantage of. There's a part of us that feels like we are so vulnerable, we need to have some, some limits on this pardon, this forgiveness thing. We don't want to be victimized, so we look for the parameters. We often want to retreat back to that castle of unforgiveness or bitterness where we say, nobody will ever hurt me like that again. And we build this wall around us and nobody ever does get close enough to hurt you like that again because nobody can break in through your wall. Jesus says, this is not the way I have called you to live. Jesus' answer, it's a little unnerving. Look at it in Scripture. Jesus tells us that we're not to forgive seven times, but 70 times seven. Or some translations put it 77 times. Whether it's 77 times or 70 times seven, 490 times, it it doesn't matter. The, The word picture here is it's limitless. It's unlimited forgiveness. Now this word picture of 77 times, we see this again in Genesis 4. Don't turn there, but just let your mind remember Genesis 4. We see that There's an evil man there, Lamech, who is boasting to his wives of his bloodthirstiness. Here's what was said. He said, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's, my revenge, is seventy-sevenfold. In other words, he said, "If, if this man had vengeance seven times for the wrong that's been done to him, wait till you see my vengeance. It's 77 times. It's unlimited for the things that have been done to me. He was boasting about the revenge that he would have. In essence, he's saying to his wives, I'm going to go over the top and getting even. I'm going to go over the top and being vengeful. Jesus is using the same word picture here, saying, I'm calling you to go over the top in forgiveness. To go way beyond what you can imagine in forgiving your brother and sister. Now, if we have any honest bone in our body this morning, there's a part of us that would say, okay, but how is that possible? How can I live where I just freely forgive everybody around me? Well, first, I want to remind you this morning that there is a huge difference between forgiveness and trust. We'll talk about trust at another time. And trust is earned, but forgiveness is freely given, or it should be freely given. Jesus tells this parable to help us understand how can this be possible? How can citizens of his kingdom, those under his rule, under his reign, how can they forgive without limits? Take your Bible and look at verse 23 through 35 of Matthew 18. Therefore... The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Verse 26, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I, can, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. 
When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told the master everything that that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. This is what Jesus is asking for. He's not asking for just words or lip service of forgiveness. It's forgiveness from the heart. It seems that Christ wants us to get at least two key things from this passage. First, if you're taking notes, jot this in. And it's the question we have to wrestle with. How great is God's forgiveness of me? How great is God's forgiveness of me? Jesus answers Peter's question about how to forgive his brother, and he immediately goes to how God has forgiven us. Look at verse 23. Jesus immediately draws our attention to the reality of a king. He draws our attention to God. This is so important because every area, every topic of our life, to rightly understand it, we have to first understand who God is and who we are in relationship to him. You can't understand your life or any part of it without understanding who God is and your relationship to Him. Who is God? What matters to Him? How has He spoken to us? How has He related to us? How has He sought to rescue us? Now notice, when this question was asked, Jesus didn't give an example. Well, Peter, I'm glad you asked. Uh, you know what? I just want you to think of what Philip did yesterday. He was, he was pretty gracious and he forgave pretty well in that situation. So you just go do what Philip did. Jesus didn't say that. Notice that when Peter asked, Jesus didn't say, well, Peter, tell me a little bit more about this problem. For me to tell you how to forgive, why don't you tell me about it? Why don't you tell me uh, uh, how bad was the, the grievance against you? How, how bad was the sin? How many times did they do it? What were all the details around? You know, we love to do that. When we're thinking about forgiveness, we're thinking about the challenge and the call to forgive those around us. We want to make sure that all the details are on the table. Well, Pastor Brady, I'm not arguing with this passage of Scripture, but you've got to understand what they really did to me. You've got to understand how many times they did it. You've got to understand the context in which this happened. You've got to understand this whole mountain was stacked against me. Jesus didn't start there. He says, Peter, listen to this story. Listen to this parable. And he started with the king. You know what? We cannot forgive. We can never understand forgiveness. We can never help others forgive until we understand that forgiveness always starts with the king. Forgiveness starts with the king. It's about God. Next, Jesus in the parable not only directs our attention to the king, but calls us to look at the debt that is owed to the king. Let's look at that debt. The servant who was brought to the king was said to owe 10,000 talents. Now, scholars tell us that, that one talent most likely represented a, a modest life savings that you can live on for the rest of your life. And so 10,000 talents was 10,000 life savings. Some scholars would say that that was more currency that was in than what was in circulation in that region at the time. It was more money than what existed in that region at the time. And, and so the point here is... It's impossible to pay that back. If you had all the money of Bill Gates, William Buffett, all their friends, you, you pulled them together, you still wouldn't have enough money to pay back this debt. That's the picture that Jesus is giving. He's saying it is an impossible debt to repay. 
this amount of money was impossible. Our sin debt is impossible to repay. Now, we often don't look at our sin debt as being impossible to repay. We think that, you know, I'm a pretty nice person compared to so-and-so. Thank God for so-and-so. Thank God for the people around us that we feel better than. We love to use them as our measuring stick. Well, I don't act like they do. I don't give like they do. I don't talk to my family like they do. I don't say the things at work that they do. I don't do the actions that they do. I don't whatever it is. Friends, our sin debt is impossible to repay. It doesn't matter how good you think you have been. This is an illusion. Because of my sin, because of my pride, because of my lust, because of my disobedience, because of my blank, I have an impossible sin debt that I can never repay. It's only by the grace of God that I've been forgiven. And friend, the same is true for you. Now, I believe this truth. I can write this in my statement of faith that I need God to forgive me of my sins. I have an impossible sin debt. But this concept so quickly slips through our fingers. We begin to quickly forget this impossible debt that we have to repay. I believe this is so easy for this to happen for us because if you've been a Christian for a number of years, it's pretty easy to begin to stop feeling like you have a big sin debt. And you start to feel like, you know what? I've I've done quite a bit of good for God. I think God should be pretty impressed with me. We begin to start thinking, you know what? Uh, God, I've, I've sacrificed a lot for you. I've, I've given you my time. Other people didn't give you time. I gave you my time. I've read my Bible. I've let people cut in front of me in traffic. That's huge for me, God. God, I've, I've spent time praying. Minutes upon minutes praying. I've served on committees. I've taught classes. I've served on the board. I've done all these things, God. You should probably be a little bit impressed with me. And and for some reason, we don't see this impossible sin debt before us anymore. And we begin to think that God owes us something. We start to feel like a person who really has done a lot for God. Write this in. We forget our impossible sin debt. We forget how impossible it actually is. The reality is that our sin debt before God appears to be less and less over time. We begin to think, you know, those actions, those thoughts, those deeds that I've done, that's 10 years ago. I was a different person then. That's 20 years ago. That that didn't really matter anymore. You see, that's not how it works. If someone murdered somebody in your family, and and it had been 10 years and, and you had talked to them, you wouldn't say, hey, don't worry about it. You'd want justice to be done. See, with God, time doesn't make any difference. The the sin that you committed 20 years ago and the sin that you committed yesterday, time doesn't absolve any of that. Now, when God's forgiven you, He forgets your sin. When He's forgiven you, you have freedom, but unconfessed sin, sin that has not been repented from, it is still a weight around your neck no matter how long it has been. The sin debt that has been paid is still that great no matter when it was committed. You see, we forget that we are just as guilty now as we were then. You know, I don't think we realize half of the sins or many of the sins that we commit. 
I think most of us, we have a list in our mind of about the five to ten big things that we are ashamed of that we've done. And so when somebody like myself talks about sin, you pull up a list in your mind of those five or ten things that you're ashamed of that you have done in your life. And that's kind of your sin that Jesus forgave you from. But we have so conveniently forgotten the hundreds and thousands of times that we have been disobedient to God. And these small sins that we think are small actually are absolutely disgusting to God. He detests them to a holy and just God. They are unacceptable and they separate us from Him just the same. And so we begin to forget this huge sin debt that has been lifted from us, and we have this gospel amnesia. We walk around acting as if we we can't recall what the good news was really about. Because kind of the good news is that, huh, I'm in the room, Jesus. I'm living for you now, Jesus. You should be impressed with me. And we begin to live like God owes us something, or other people owe us things, and we have amnesia of the good news that was given to us. Psalm 130, verse 3 says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? No one could stand. We would all be crushed by our guilt. Well, Pastor, I know that's you know, philosophically true, that all sin separates us from God, but I don't know that I'd really be crushed by guilt. I've never done anything. You would be crushed by guilt, friend. Your sin debt is impossible to be repaid without Jesus. See, we become so accustomed to forgetting these little disobediences that we sweep underneath the rug that are so detestable to God that we begin to think that we don't really need Him that much. How about not only the things we've done wrong, what about the things that we should have done that we didn't do? All the good that God has called us to do that we have been too busy to do or too ashamed to do or too embarrassed or too selfish to do. What about all the good that we have done with our own selfish motives? God help us. The sin debt on each of us is impossible to pay. What we need is to see the reality of what we deserve. Write that in. What we deserve. We deserve to forfeit our life. We deserve death. And there has been a great price paid for our sin. Now church, it it breaks my heart that I think sometimes, at least in the church of America and Western culture, we begin to sing songs and read scripture and say sayings about the price that Jesus paid. And it's almost like, and give me something new. I already read that one. I already understand that one. We need to be hit in the face again with the truth of the price that was paid for us. Isaiah 53 verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 1 Peter 2:24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. It goes on and on. 2 Corinthians 5:21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 1, 7. We could go on and on and on. Scripture is littered with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And church, help us. We live as if it's a stranger among us. God comes to kiss you with His love and His grace and His mercy and you look at Him like it's a stranger and you say, eh, thanks. 
just as my parents stood around that hospital bed, they were telling me how much they loved me, and I'm like, who are you? I can't imagine a parent getting a response from their son when they are crying and they say, they love you, and I say, thanks. I, I didn't know him. I didn't understand the sacrifice they made for me. I didn't put it all together. God help us. He can wake us up from our gospel amnesia. I'm not trying to get you to live under some false guilt, try to drum up some guilt that he's already forgiven you from. I want you to tap into the joy of what he has forgiven you from. Of. It's not that you have to feel guilty anymore, but God help you. Don't let your freedom from guilt turn to God owes you something. We live as if we have completely forgotten what he has done for us. My heart cries out to the one in the room today that You've been around church, probably. You've been around religion. But you've never come to the place where you've asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins. You've never repented. Friend, I want to love you enough today. I want to be a good enough friend to you today. A good enough pastor to you today to let you know that the king is real. The debt that you owe is real. The penalty for your sin debt, hell, is very real. Judgment is coming. But you can have freedom. You don't have to live in that judgment. You don't have to live on your way to hell. God wants to set you free, but you must receive that gift. You must repent. You're not just sorry that you got in a mess. You're not just sorry you got caught. You're not just sorry that your life plan didn't work out. You say, God, I want you to change my heart with your help. I want to live for you. There's freedom there. And if that's you today, this is your day. This could be the best day of your life don't leave this room before you have assurance of what Jesus has done for you and that you've accepted it but church there's like a whole bunch of us who've accepted Jesus we live for him we've trusted in him And our challenge today is not that we need to receive forgiveness. We need to understand and be reminded of the sin debt that was forgiven from us. God help us. We need to have that gospel amnesia knocked off of our brains and our hearts and begin to embrace what it is He has saved us from. Because when you begin to see what Jesus has saved you from, it changes how you see everybody else around you. Write this in. We can never have an appropriate perspective on the wrongs done to us until we see the incalculable wrongs we've committed against a perfect and holy God. That's a mouthful. You're never going to be able to understand and and be able to correctly respond to the wrongs done to you until you see how much God has forgiven you of. Another way to put it is this. Only when we see how great God's forgiveness is can we understand God's call for us to forgive others. If you don't understand how great, how great a sin debt that God has wiped clean for you, the chances of you and I living out this part of the gospel and forgiving others is nil. Not only will it not happen, you'll have no desire for it to happen. The second and last key thought that I believe that Jesus wants us to get from Matthew 18 is this question or this thought, how connected God's forgiveness of me is to my forgiveness of others? Now, now this is not some kind of earn-your-way salvation. Don't misunderstand me. 
This is not some kind of prerequisite that you have to punch these buttons for you to get salvation to come out of the vending machine. No. But you need to understand, when you've really been forgiven of Jesus, it should change how you see everybody else. How connected God's forgiveness of me is to my forgiveness of others. You see, everything I do in my relationship with others reveals how I view God and how I relate to Him. You see, when I don't forgive others around me, it's just like that servant who was forgiven an impossible debt, way more money than was even in circulation at the time, goes out, finds a colleague who owes him three months wages, and chokes him out till he gets what he thinks is deserved to him. How ridiculous is it for us to live our life with Burger King's motto, have it your way, right away, now, walking out and expecting the world to give us everything that we feel like we deserve. Heaven help us. The littlest thing offends us and we fly off the handle. How dare they say that to me? How dare they do that? They should never ever respond that way. I've had to live with this injustice for so long. I'm not trying to make light of your pain. I'm not trying to make light of your situation. But God help us. You are on your way to death. And Jesus has given you life. And that Life pardon should affect how you respond to every injustice around you. If your response to people begins to wane, maybe you need to go back to the king and see what he's forgiven you of. Colossians 3.13 says, Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. The problem for many of us is that we wrongly forgive others because we wrongly view the way God has forgiven us. We don't forgive other people the way God wants us to because we don't understand how He has forgiven us. We have mixed up ideas about God's forgiveness for us, and so that translates to us responding to people in ways that is not God's plan for us and forgiveness. Now somebody woke up this morning for this truth. Don't miss it. When we begin to think of our sin as a small thing, and God's forgiveness of our small sin as a small thing, then the offense that someone has done to us begins to seem really huge. And another way to put it is, when this sin that's done against you is small, and God's forgiveness for you is small, and this offense that's done to you is huge, when God asks you to forgive them, that command to forgive is absolutely ridiculous. I can't do that. that I would be so vulnerable, I would be... But when we understand... There's no problem with Jesus' command for us to forgive freely all of those around us. The problem is with our understanding of our sin and God's forgiveness of our sin. We need to be freed from our small idea of how big our sin debt is and our small idea of what it took Jesus to do on the cross for us. And those great offenses will begin to take shape in proportion to what Jesus has done for us. Now one of the challenges I know firsthand... (laughs) With amnesia is, you don't know what you don't know. And there's great frustration in not knowing what you don't know. And people want to tell you the things that you don't know. And there came a point in the day, and I just said, I don't want to know what I don't know anymore. I just want to be left alone. And I understand some of the responses we may have today. It may take some time for this to take root in your heart and for God to stir up in you the appropriate understanding of the great sin debt. Some of you are teetering on hanging on to guilt, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. That's not what I'm asking for. 
But God's asking for us to rightly understand what we've been forgiven, that we may be able to forgive those around us. That other category, a scenario where we feel like God really hasn't forgiven us. I think a lot of people who are religious live this way. It's like they're on probation. They don't understand the gospel of grace. Jesus paid the sin debt in full. It is finished. It is done. You don't earn it. You don't have to wait somehow. And see, we don't really understand that sometimes as a religious person. We live in on probation. And if you don't understand God's forgiveness that way, that it's a, a debt that's been paid in full, you say, okay, God forgave me, but you're waiting for the other shoe to drop, and God someday will just get you. <laughs> I did it again. I woke somebody up. Did it in first service too. That's good. God just wakes us up. He's going to slap us. No. We begin to live like a religious person. We say, God, I know you've forgiven me, but, but I have to pay you back somehow. I have to earn it. And, and so when we begin to live like this, can't you see that this skewed understanding of God's forgiveness skews how we treat other people? We'll say, well, I'll forgive you, but you just wait. I'm going to get you back someday. Oh, I, I forgive you, but I'm going to get even. Oh, I'll forgive you, but you need to earn it. I'll forgive you when you do X, Y, Z. I'll forgive you when you have earned it. Friend, the master forgave your debt in full. He's called us to forgive the way he has forgiven us. People who don't know they need grace, write this in. Rarely give grace to others. If you don't know that you need grace, it's pretty rare that you would give grace to others. If we think our efforts have made the difference, our view of God is skewed. And it affects the way we view other people around us. Look at verse 26 in Matthew 18. This servant falls on his knees. Have patience with me and I'll pay back everything. This guy doesn't get it. He doesn't get how big his sin debt is, how big his debt is. He thinks, (laughs) if I have time... Plus, a lot of effort, it'll equal my salvation. If you just have patience with me, I'll pay it all back. And the master says, I can give you all the time in the world. You'll never pay this back. I'm just going to cancel the debt. Many of us think we just need to call out for time and effort and then we'll be forgiven. Jesus has forgiven you. It is settled. It is done. We need to have our hearts and minds made alive to this truth again. Verse 23, he didn't get it. Verse 26, didn't get it. Then he goes out and what was forgiven, an impossible debt. He sees a fellow servant who owes him three months wages. It's significant, but not near the debt that he had. And he demands repayment. Why? Because his attention was not on the king and his debt. His attention was on what he felt like he deserved. Friends, that's you and me today. So many of us are living with gospel amnesia. We live as if we have no recollection of what God has done for us. We minimalize it. We compartmentalize it. What the king did for us should radically change how we deal with people around us. But... I'm sad to say that as a whole, the church in America, we are not known for our forgiveness of the world or one another. We are known for the opposite. I mean, you just talk to your server today at lunch. They fight over who has to work the Sunday lunch hour. 
We're known to be stingy. We're known to be, I'll get you back. You didn't bring me iced tea with half ice and half lemonade and all this stuff. And uh, there's one point off your tip. It's a little bit cold today. Well, I'm going to get that. You know what? If we feel that way about just getting our food at lunch, it's no wonder it's rampant in the way we live our life with our neighbor, with our family, with everything else. We have such a huge sin debt that's been forgiven. It should radically change the grace we give. Here's an experiment. When your waiter or waitresses, when they mess it up big time, I mean, they didn't like just bring it to you late. They brought you the wrong thing and it was nasty. Triple tip them. They know they blew it. It's a perfect plan to say, you know what? (laughs) When I knew that I blew it, I've been given way more than I deserved. I just want to pass that on to you today. I think I may try that with my server. Well, what if it wouldn't just be at lunch? with people we may not have an ongoing relationship with. What if we did that at home, with our spouse, with our kids, with our parents? What if we did that with our extended family? What if we did that with our boss? What if we did that with our employees? We said, you know what? This is what you deserve, but I want to forgive you. I want to give you grace today because I have been given way more than I deserve. When we are known, when our identity is in Christ as being forgiven by Him, it should translate in how we deal with other people. We shouldn't go over the top in vengeance. We should go over the top in forgiveness. I'm going to ask Pastor Edgar to come up to the keyboard. I want to give a challenge today. I believe that there are many of us who are in chains of this gospel amnesia. There may be some of you here today that you really have never come to a place where you have specifically asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to pardon you. You're not just sorry you got caught, but... You see that the king is real, that God is real. Your disobedience that separates you from God, you know it's real. No one has to tell you how real your sin is. You know it's real. There is freedom today. You don't have to stay stuck in that bondage. Today can be the day that you have freedom. You know what? Some of us may have been pretending for a long time. Pretending is so much harder than just walking in his grace. Stop pretending and receive his grace today. But I believe there's another host of people who we have been bond up in chains of unforgiveness. Some of us, it may be a very specific person or a very specific offense that's happened to us. God wants to shake you free from gospel amnesia today. I'm not making light of your pain. I'm not making light of your situation. But the bondage of chains that you are in, He wants to give you freedom and help you forgive the way He's forgiven you. I'm not saying you go out and recklessly trust somebody. Again, we earn trust. We freely give forgiveness. I believe there's another category of people here today. It's not this memory of your past. It's not this specific person. It's just kind of this chip on your shoulder that the world owes you everything. And it's just kind of been growing. The dumb people around me and got dumb neighbors and I got dumb employees and I got dumb this and I, everybody's just dumb but you. <laughs> if that's how you're feeling, it's a pretty good sign that there's some gospel amnesia happening. We begin to see other people through glasses of grace and we see how much we've been forgiven. If that's you today, I want to ask all of us, would you stand with me? And as we sing this song, if you're here today and and you want to receive forgiveness, you want to ask God to to break your heart and help you forgive someone else, or you just want to be stirred and, and woken up to the fact that you have been given so much in Jesus You need that to happen in your heart. You just come forward right now and we'll pray together as we sing this song.
Here's what I'd like us to do, church. If you have a friend up front who's praying and you'd like to pray with them, I'd love for you to do that. I don't want anybody being alone when they're seeking God. You come and rally around them. But in in a second, I'm going to pray, and then I want us to end with a song of celebration. When our hearts have been awakened to the fact that Jesus has conquered the sin debt in our life, and we want Him to wake our eyes up to see people around us differently in the light of the grace that we've been given, it helps by pointing our attention back to Jesus again before we take off and are challenged to do that. So if you're here today and you have that victory in your heart, your sins have been forgiven, when I finish praying, I want you to sing at the top of your lungs. You don't even know what Pastor Edgar's going to sing yet, but you're going to be ready. You're going to be ready to sing it no matter what it is because you have a heart that's full of gratitude and praise. Father, I thank you for the sin debt that you have canceled for us. You meet our every need. Right now, you know the need that's, that's going on in Vivian Wade's body. That she needs some healing touch right now. Lord, I pray that you will touch her. You know the healing that we need in, in our life of, of emotions that have been so torn and tangled and we can't forgive. But God, we thank you in advance for the healing you're giving to us. We know that every person we lock eyes with, no matter how they've wronged us, no matter what they do to us, we will forgive because we are forgiven by you. Forgiveness is not about them. It's about the King. And Jesus, we thank you for what you've done. As we lift our hearts and our voices in praise today, Jesus, I pray that you will be honored and pleased by your kids today. In your name I pray. Amen.